continue, we'll continue from yesterday. So yesterday, what, what the rabbi was making the argument to the Khazarian king, he was talking about the great miracles that happened during their time in the desert and was talking about the fact that the trying to reconcile the concept of a non-physical God with the concept that God has a, an impact in the physical world and that we were able to hear his voice. And he said, I hear the problem. I see your problem, but I, I, I reconcile it by saying it's impossible that God is physical. How he created a physical emanation, that doesn't bother me because God is above, completely above any rules of nature that we recognize. So the, and then he explains, why is it that God did create this physical nature? The reason why God created the physical idea is so that those who are present should believe fully, the entire nation should believe fully, that whatever they're witnessing is coming directly from God without any intermediary. And this was the greatest uh, proof and basis for them to believe that there is a God who created the world and a God who can override nature at his will. Now, after all this, and then we talk about the continuous persistent miracles happening throughout the time in the desert. So the Kuzari then responds at the bottom of page 105 in 92. The Kuzari said, be careful, Rabbi, that you do not overstate the praise of your people and overlook the well-known account of their rebellion during this period of miracles. For I have heard that in the midst of all this, they made a golden calf and worshipped it instead of God. In other words, he's not coming to complain and say the Jewish people are such weak people. How is it possible for them to sin so quickly? They're, they're just, you know, uh, more, more uh, grist for the mill for the anti-Semites. That's not, that's not what's pushing him. What's, what's pushing him over here, what's motivating this argument is you're trying to make a claim that there was this clear, clear understanding that there is a God and that they all have had this physical manifestation, emanation of God in their minds. Well, if indeed you're correct, how is it possible for them to sin in, yet 40 days later? Clearly, you must be misinterpreting something. The rabbi said the severity of their sin was magnified because of their greatness. Great indeed is one who sins are enumerated. What's his point? He's going he's to elaborate on his point. But as of now, he seems to be saying, listen, you have to understand that the sin was not as bad as it seems at first glance. The Kuzari said, you say this only out of your favorable bias towards your people. What greater sin is there than idolatry? What greatness could possibly remain after that? In other words, you can make the argument that some sins are more minor sins, perhaps. You make the argument that sometimes someone is judged harshly for something that he did because he's on such a high level. But the sin is being described as idolatry, right? The denial of the presence of God. And it's it, it, precisely at the time when you're claiming that there was this clear understanding that God exists. And then this is how they turn about. This, this completely negates everything that you said. The rabbi said, bear with me until I have explained to you the greatness of this nation. I have proof enough of their greatness from the fact that God chose them from among all other nations to become his people. God rested his divinity upon them, so much so that all of them heard God's words. This divinity passed over to the Jewish women as well, who also became prophets. And this is in contrast to the fact that from Adam up until then, divinity had settled only on a few select individuals. Okay, so what he's saying is like this. He's saying you have to recognize right away the very fact that the entire nation was worthy of having a revelation of God on an individual and personal level, that itself indicates to us the great, great level that they had reached. Because if they weren't at such a great level, they would not have been capable of having this, this divine communication. Adam himself was completely without flaw. There can be no doubt that this was so because he was made by an omnipotent, omniscient artisan. 
who chose what ingredients to use and what form he would take. There is no deficiency that one would find in a regular human attributable to the father's semen or the mother's blood. The reason why they use the term mother's blood is because the way that the Talmud describes it is that the mother's blood is what turns into is what turns into the potential for a child. Now, it doesn't mean literally the mother's blood. They actually had enough of an understanding in those days to recognize that when the that when a woman gets her period, that's an indication that she will no longer be able to bear a child at this cycle. However, what the they look at that as interchangeable because when you get your period, then you no longer have the capability to have a child. So the blood was what was considered to be the the cause of, of what at least the uh, the part of it that the the mother would um, would contribute. Okay. Now, the deficiency that comes about is when a human is created, the human is created today using uh, reproductive systems of two humans, right? So that means that the two of the three authors of the next generation are going to be a man and a woman, and then the third will be God. Well, Adam and Eve are on a higher level because Adam and Eve are created directly by God without any intermediaries, without any human interaction intervention. There was likewise no deficiency attributable to food or behavior during the childhood years. Nor was there any deficiency in Adam's environment, ear, water, and land. For God created Adam as an adult in his physical and emotional prime. Adam's soul and intellect were likewise at the maximum human potential. Moreover, Adam achieved a level above intellect called the divine force, whereby simply thinking, the individual attaches himself to God and to celestial beings and comprehends the truth of all things without having previously studied them. His great stature gained for himself and all those early descendants who resembled him the title Son of God. Okay. So what we're trying to describe is that the original creation of man, clearly Adam is on a higher level than anybody who has come afterwards, right? And for many different reasons. And first we can describe in terms of his creation, in terms of the forces, the elements, not just the nature of his creation, but also the nurture of his environment. He was created completely different plane. He was created in a completely perfect world. And therefore he achieved heights that no one can ever possibly achieve. And he says, and how do we know this? Because he actually has this capability, the capacity to connect to God in a very, very direct way and to all other celestial beings without even having to study anything first. He was created on a level where he was already maximized. The rest of us are created on a level where we have the ability to maximize the potential. And some select few have the ability to achieve prophecy, right? And maybe not today, but in hypothetically when there was an era of prophecy. But Adam is created already done. He's a done creature already ready to achieve prophecy without needing any growth. Adam had many children, but only one son. Havel, Abel, was worthy of taking his place since he closely resembled his father. Cain, Cain, killed his brother, Havel, because he was jealous of his superiority. God then replaced Havel with Shes, who also resembled his father. Okay. So it's an important idea to recognize that what Gazari is trying to express is like this. The, the, the story of the creation at the beginning of the Torah is very fascinating because you have Adam and Eve, and they give birth to these two sons, right? According to one with Josh, they're twins. And then the younger son, is more acceptable to God, and he's immediately killed by his older brother. Why do that? Like, why, why not? Why, why are we starting like that? Why do we need to start a world in which we have two brothers, in which one of them kills the other? Why? Why not skip it? Right? God could have created a world in which they both are on the same page, which is only one son from the beginning. Right? Is more acceptable. So perhaps the idea is that once Adam eats from the tree of food of knowledge, it was no longer acceptable to have people 
who are going to be born fully formed, created, maximized potential without needing any more growth. And that was no longer the plan. The plan was now for people to be born needing, requiring a lot of further growth so as to make it possible for us to have a Torah. Adam would not have required the entire Torah because he didn't, he didn't need all those mitzvahs to perfect himself. So Cain is killed. Cain kills his brother Havel. God then replaced Havel with Shes, who also resembled his father. Shes then was the elite son, the heart of the fruit. All others were like the peel. Shes's elite descendant was Enosh, and so it went until Noah. In each generation, there was elite individuals who resembled Adam, and thus they were also known as sons of God. Each was superlative in his physical makeup, stature, longevity, wisdom, and ability. The Torah uses their lifespans to measure the years from Adam to Noah and from Noah to Abraham. It was possible for divinity to skip a generation in this link of elite descendants, such as was the case with Terach, Abraham's father, because Terach himself is not an elite. He's not someone who's worthy of, of prophecy. But it resumed again with Avraham, who was the disciple of his grandfather, Aver, and who even knew Noah, right? We don't think of Avraham and Noah in the same generation. But Avraham was 58 years old, as it says on the bottom, when Noah died. Divinity could therefore pass from grandparents to grandchildren. Avraham then was the elite descendant and disciple of Aver, which is why he was called the Ivri, the Hebrew. Aver, in turn, was the elite descendant of Shem, who was the elite descendant of Noah. Shame had inherited the temperate climates of the earth of which the choicest and most temperate was the land of Canaan, known as the soil of prophecy. Regarding Noah's two other sons, Yephas went to the north and Ham went to the south. Avram's elite descendant was Yitzchak and Avram distanced his other progeny from the land of Canaan so that it would be reserved exclusively for Yitzchak. Yitzchak's elite descendant was Yaakov. Yaakov's brother Esau failed to gain a foothold on the land for Yaakov had gained exclusive rights to it. All of Yaakov's children were his elite descendants, all being worthy of divinity. Therefore, they all inherited the land reserved for divinity, i.e. Canaan. Okay? So what he's trying to get to, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue this tomorrow night, Bezer Hashem, is the idea that what was happening is, up until now, there was always just one individual in the generation who was worthy of having this divine level of prophecy and divine communication. But the Jewish people are going to be unique, and this is dependent on the fact that once Abraham comes around, he has the ability to give over to his children on a very, on a more communal scale, the ability to have a connection with God. Okay, so we'll continue this tomorrow night. Take care, guys. Good night.